God said his house is a house of prayer, so I'm going to lift him up one more time. And then we're going to get into this word. Ooh, we, I'm ready to get in this word. That's right. Come on. I'll be at sometime, bro. You ready? Let's go. Let's pray. Ah, Father. Father, we do nothing apart from you. We don't hear the word apart from your spirit, penetrating it deep into our hearts. We don't speak the word lest your Holy Spirit attends us. Lord, we are not in this place by accident. There is nothing mistaken. There's no mistake in the people who are here this morning. It is God ordained that they be here this morning. You have ordered their steps to be in this place right now to hear your word this morning. And I pray that that truth sink into their souls. That you don't waste a moment of our lives. And at this very moment, they are here to do business with you. They are here to surrender to you. They are here to worship you. They are here to be gl- to, to sing songs that glorify you. They're here to love one another. They're here to serve one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another with their attentiveness, their songs, their hymns, their spiritual songs, their prayers, their, their pats on the back, their, their head nods of, hello, how are you? They are here on a mission, and they are the mission. To hear your word, to receive your word, and to live this faith. Be hands and feet to those around us. Fill us up. Be present, Lord. You are so welcome in here. This is your house. we just guests. We're just honored guests and far be it from us to sit in the front Lord let us sit in the back and we'll let you move us forward Lord you are worthy of all honor and all glory and all praise is yours so we thank you and praise you in Christ's name amen well good morning y'all my name is Kanan Parker I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church if you're a guest here or you're visiting hopefully you saw on the table in the back there's a small card called a connect card Go ahead and fill that out. Let us know of your visit. Um, we will contact you somehow, some way, uh, whether by phone or by email. And if you have a prayer request, if you are a regular here and your prayer request, you can write those prayer requests on that card and put it in the black boxes at the doors while you exit. And we will pray for you. The elders do pray for you. If you submit prayer requests online, I want you to be comforted and know the elders have seen it and they are praying for you. And so please let those come in liberally. That's what we want. This morning, we don't have a cross-reference sheet. That's because we're going to try some technology. And we're going we're gonna to try to put it up there. Y'all be, be gracious with us. I'm going to try. Y'all know what it is. Let's look at any. I already clicked it. It still ain't working. There it is. This, it, may, it may be slow, y'all. I'm going to show y'all a picture. Okay? That's how we're going to start this sermon off. I'm going to show y'all a picture. 
Okay? Registered? All right, let that sink. Now, I know some of y'all are thinking, what on earth is going on right now? This picture actually describes many of us. This beautiful drawing on the right there is from my baby girl, Lena. I told her to draw the Black Panther. And she did. Praise God. Y'all got that picture in your head? This picture not only describes you and me, but it describes the situation that we're going to be encountering in today's passage. So with that picture in your mind's eye, go ahead and open in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. Keep that in your eye. Open in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. Jim, I'm going to need you to click it. Technology ain't working. That's why we don't use tech. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. Look what God's word says. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Beloved, this physical picture is an illustration of a spiritual reality. One that me, you, and these churches in Galatia are often guilty of. We're guilty of trying to finish in the flesh what God started in the spirit. It's as silly as looking at a HD picture of the Black Panther only to be finished by our chicken scratches on the other side. Trying to finish in the flesh what God started in the spirit. Trying to maintain our spiritual standard with physical actions. Or more specifically, contextually to this passage, that picture represents us trying to earn or keep God's favor and love by fighting tooth and nail to keep God's laws and commandments. It's silly for me to pass that off as a genuine picture, isn't it? Half is riveting and real and powerful and colorful, and the other is nothing but a cheap imitation of what we could come up with. Yet all of us at some point or another are guilty of trying to earn and maintain something that we didn't start by some form of obedience to God's laws. Whatever we think God wants for us to do, we think that by doing that, we somehow are going to receive God's love because of what we did. That's like me telling you that was a genuine photo. That's foolishness. It's even laughable. Some of us are trying to convince ourselves that we're okay with God by doing something for him. Beloved, if you think that God's love for you is initiated or maintained by what you do and don't do, you have been hoodwinked. You have been bamboozled, beloved. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.1, go ahead and click that, brother. Galatians 3.1, it says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? If you think God's love for you is based on what you, some law that you kept or some good deed that you've done, you've missed the entire point of the gospel. 
And so at this moment, I need you to free yourselves from trying in your own strength to appease God so that he might love you. Free yourself from that burden. Beloved, God's love for you and care for you is not initiated by you and it's not maintained by you. And that's not even a foreign concept, beloved. We understand this daily. If you're an aunt or an uncle, if you're a close cousin, if you're a mother or a father or you're a godmother or a godfather, then you understand this principle. What did that child that was born do to you in order for you to love the child? What did it give you? It didn't give you anything for you to love that child. Did you burden the child with the weight of having to maintain your love for that child? Did you say, baby, now, if, you're gonna, if I'm going to love you, I need you to do and be X, Y, Z. Did you put that weight on that child? Your godson, your goddaughter, your niece, your nephew? Beloved, of course you didn't. You would never put the weight and burden of your love to be based and maintained by that child's actions. That's brutally unfair for that child to think he can somehow live up to what you want him to be. They will stumble and fall, and it's unfair to expect them not to. But you're going to love that child anyway. It's funny how God's love always finds itself mirrored in our experiences as people. In some way, and then I mean in the same way, we are recipients of God's love without being the maintainers of it. Let's look at the testimony of the scriptures. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Look what it says. It says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Now, this is what we do. We're keeping our eyes on Jesus. Now, these next, this, next sent, this next part of the sentence is the most important part. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Some of your translations say the author and finisher of our faith. Beloved, that means that he starts you and he brings you to completion. You didn't start yourself. You can't complete yourself. Take the burden off. Give me another verse. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that who? He who did what? Started, what did he start? The good work where? In you. If he started it, that means you didn't. He who started the good work in you, what's he going to do now? Carry it, it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Who's starting it? The Lord. Who's finishing it? The Lord. Take the burden off. Let no one tell you that something you did is the reason for God's love for you. We know it here, but we still act like we don't. I messed up this week. Got to get it right next week. Got to pray harder next week. Got to read three chapters next week. Is that wrong? It could be if the motive is off. Our faith starts with God and it's maintained by God. How do I know that? Not just because of the testimony of these verses, 
Give me another verse, brother. But because of what the scripture says of us otherwise. Look at Romans 3 says about us, beloved. It says both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Skip down to verse 10. We can find it there. Where is it? I'm just going to read it from here. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Beloved, that's us. No one's righteous. Then what does it say? There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. Y'all see that? Verse 12. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They're, they deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. In the path of peace, they have not known. Look at verse 18, beloved. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's how I know that you didn't start yourselves in this direction and you can't finish yourself in this direction. If you are here this morning, it's because God has orchestrated you to be in this place to hear this word. Or he has redeemed your soul, transformed your heart, and drawn you to have a desire and value in worshiping with the saints. Look at the next verse, Jeremiah 17, verses 9 through 10. And this, this, this should get your head moving a little bit. It says this, the heart is more deceitful than anything and incurable. Who can understand it? But then look at verse 10, and this should make your ears perk up a little bit. Because it sounds contrary to what I'm saying. Verse 10, I, the Lord, examine the mind, I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. Now, if you're listening to what I've been saying, that sounds contradictory. Right? I thought you said, Pastor K, that our love and favor wasn't based on our actions, on what we do, what gives I want you to notice the flow of the passage. Read the whole passage. Don't get stuck on verse 10. What did it say above it? Everything starts at the heart level. It says your heart is sick. And then it says the Lord examines your heart and your mind. Why? Because every evil action is a, is a direct result of an evil, adulterated heart. Your heart is judged. Your actions just revealed what was inside. Beloved, it's consistent here with what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. He says, for from within, out of people's hearts comes what? Evil thoughts, sexual immoralities. That's physical, though. You see that, right? Out of their heart, but something physical happened. Thefts, physical. Murders, physical. Adulteries can be physical and mental. Greed can be both. Evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile a person. Beloved, why are we so prone to trying to finish in the flesh what God started in the spirit? Why are we so prone to this? Part of it, I believe, is this. 
that some of us just don't know any better. This is all we've ever known. We work hard, we get rewarded. That's the whole world system. Work hard. Some, some of us work hard and don't get rewarded. Oh, don't get me going on justice stuff. But the, the, the common idea is you work hard, and if all things are equal, you get rewarded for your hard work. That's the common thread. And so it's almost like we've been indoctrinated to think and carry that human principle over into the divine. We even carry it into the divine ordinances that God has left us with. Some of us carry that into our marriages. Some of us carry it into our boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. We withhold love from we, one spouse withholding love from their other spouse until their other spouse earns it. Beloved, I've been guilty of this. And I know you have it too with your relationships with people. But beloved, this is not the way of Christ. Jesus doesn't withhold his love from us until we earn it, and neither should we withhold our love for one another on that basis. Now, some of you may be thinking this in your mind. You may have this in your mind. Well, Pastor K, that's cool, but I'm going to try to clean myself up before I come to God. I need to be able to come to God clear, clean. Then I'll come to God. That, that's in some of your minds. Somebody buzzing. Who buzzing? Oh, it's just a random phone. Okay. Some of us think that we're going to clean ourselves up before we come to God. Now, let me say this. You may be able to clean yourself up physically. Y'all know you don't need Jesus to get off drugs. You can get off drugs without them. People do. People go to the nation of Islam and get all cleaned up physically. People go to the Hebrew boys and get all cleaned up physically. People go to, the, to whoever, whatever group, and get all cleaned up physically, off drugs. They get a job. But that's not what Jesus has come to do necessarily, and first and foremost, to get you all cleaned up physically. You're putting the cart before the horse if you're concerned about the physical before you're concerned about the spiritual. Things flow from where first? The heart. Because if you clean up the physical, you don't clean up the, the, the spiritual, then eventually you jack up the physical that you cleaned up. Just takes a little bit of time. If you're trying to clean yourself up spiritually before you come to God, it's the equivalent of washing in mud. You'll never be clean. All that work for naught. Look what it says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. Okay. This is, listen, literally listen to what it says in it says, all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. <clears throat> Beloved, how are we to be changed from the inside out? There it is. Yeah, I was telling the truth, y'all, you see? <laughs> That's what it say. How are we changed, beloved? If you can't change you, by your hard work, your effort, your works, your skill set, your gifts, whatever it is you have, if you can't change you, how are you changed? Jimbo. Psalm 51, 10. We plead with God to create a clean heart for me and to renew a steadfast spirit within me. Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, 
then the nations that remain around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was demolished, and I have replanted. No, this is not the set. That's not the right verse. My bad. That's the wrong verse. Go to the next one. Romans 12. So here we go. Do not be conformed to this age. How do we be changed? Do not be conformed to this age. But what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Go to the next one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. It says to take off the former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Remember in the previous verse, what verse was it? Um, in Mark, Mark chapter 7. Where am I at? Hold on. I skipped like a whole page. I'm taking the time. I ain't going nowhere. Y'all stuck. (laughs) Jeremiah 17, where he said that he examines the, the heart and the mind. This is God calling us to be transformed in our heart and our mind. And he is the doer of the transformation. Yeah, I skipped the whole page. Ooh, we keep going. Next one, Colossians 1.10. It says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and then doing what? And growing in the knowledge of God. Beloved, the only way in which you are transformed, changed, renewed is by the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God in and through you. That he transforms your heart and he renews your mind. He changes you from the inside out. That's the proper method. If you clean the inside of the house, beloved, inevitably your outside will change. But if you change the outside only, death will remain internally. Beloved, sin starts in the heart, not with the hands. And in the same way, salvation from sin starts with God and not in you. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. Beloved, he didn't die for those who cleaned themselves up. You see that? He didn't die for those who tried real hard to be cleaned up. He died for the ungodly. And if we would humble ourselves, recognize this, that's us, you and me, ungodly without the spirit of God within us. But the beauty of the text is that though I was ungodly, he died for me. And then Paul anticipates how crazy that sounds. Look at he says the very next verse, verse 7. He says, for rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But nobody dies for ungodly people. But God, praise God, he's different than us. It says, but God, what does he do, beloved? Oh, just look, let's read the text. The text is banging. But God proves his his own love for us. If you ever doubted for a moment that your circumstances is a result of God not loving you, this text contradicts how you feel. Let it govern your heart so it can change your mind. Let it govern your mind so it can change your heart. It says he proved his love for you, beloved. How did he prove it? For while we were still sinners, he died for us. I know y'all struggling. 
I know some of y'all got bad news this week. I know some of y'all struggling in your relationships. I know some of y'all are going through. And I know some of y'all attempted to think that God's love has left you as a result of what you're experiencing right now. Some of you have been fighting a good fight for a long time and you're just sick of it, you're weary. Some of y'all have been enduring hardship for decades now. Pain and stuff in your body and in your mind, anguish, loved ones falling away, crushing your soul and your heart. And you're thinking, God, do you love me? Do you even see me? Yes, I see you. And I love you. And I proved my love for you a long time ago. Don't question my love. I love you. I'm here for you. I see you. I'm growing you, beloved. I'm shifting you. I'm training you. I'm readying you. I'm preparing you. Remember, you exist for my glory, not yours. Your story's my story. And I'm telling a grand story of the redemption of all people who believe in my son, that he may be glorified, and you get to be my special guest and partake. Your suffering is not in vain. It's divine. God is using you for something. And he loves you. Beloved, the, the scriptures say in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're concerned about pleasing God, then let Hebrews eleven six speak to you. This is what it says. It says, now without faith, it's impossible to please God. Beloved, God has not called you initially to clean yourself up. God is not calling you to change those, those evil ways. Not at first, not first. First, what he's calling you to is faith. Without that, nothing you do will please him. Not even those damnable good works that you do for your own glory, though you say it's all for the, it's all for the kids. It ain't for the kids. You want your name in the paper, dog. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say without works, it's impossible to please God. Did it say that? It didn't say without making up for the bad stuff you did last week, it's impossible to please God. Did it say that? Beloved, we got to take all this stuff off. It didn't say without performing laws and tributes and ceremonies, it's impossible to please God. Did it say that? Without faith. Without trust. God's saying, trust me. Have faith in me. Then I'll lead you to follow me. Beloved, the essence of the gospel is not what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. That's the essence of it. The essence of the gospel is not what I need to do to be accepted by God. That's not it. But what God has done to make you right with him. That's it. It's all about beholding God and what he has done first. And then everything else comes into place. But just like B always comes after A, physical transformation has to take place after spiritual transformation. If it's the other way around, you do it for naught. You'll never be justified that way. Can't run a car in reverse all day. What God is calling you and me to do is to turn from our sin, turn from our labors, and to entrust 
the totality of our hearts to Jesus. To stop trying to convince ourselves that we're okay with God when deep down we know that we're not. Beloved, there is coming a day of reckoning. You may have been able to ignore God in times past. You may have been able to forget about God in times past. You may have been able to ignore God in times past. That's some of us here. But look what Hebrews 4.13 tells us. No creature is hidden from him, though. He sees all. All things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we, all of us, must give an account You may have been able to ignore him. You may have been able to forget him. You may have been able to avoid him. But there is coming a day which you must give an account. And he sees all things. You could forget about him, beloved, but he surely hasn't forgotten about you. Now, that's either a blessed reality or a scary one. We praise God he hasn't forgot us or we say, oh, no. He hasn't forgot me. John chapter 3, verse 36 says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Beloved, a beautiful principle from this verse is this. God is saving us from God. We need him. Beloved, have you believed on Jesus Have you entrusted yourself to Jesus? Have you given all things, all that you are, to the Son? If you have, eternal life is yours. If you haven't, God's wrath is yours. Ask God to save you from his own hands. He's gracious and he's merciful, but he's just. And he will give you whatever it is your sin has required of you. Because your heart is filthy before him. The Apostle Paul reminds the Galatians of this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? I just spent this whole time talking about that one verse. Because that's what we do. And we forget the gospel because of that. Did you experience so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing? So then does God give you the, give you the spirit and work miracles among you by doing works to the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Now, keep that up there. What is it that the Galatians were experiencing in verse 4, according to verse 5? What is it? Two things, the spirit and miracles, right? That's what it says. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Did God give you the spirit, verse 5, and work miracles among you by, do, by, by doing works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Now, the temptation, when you look at that verse, is to view these as two com- completely separate realities. That they received the spirit of God, and then God did miracles among them. Right? That's kind of naturally how, what our eyes and our minds will do with that verse. But by doing this, we fall victim to missing the greatest experience and the greatest miracle that both they and hopefully we have ever partaken of. The verse is telling us of something amazing. It's going to tell us about a miracle that's greater than the ability to heal a bad back. 
Some of y'all need miracles, right? And it's like, oh, heal my bad back. That's great. Praise God. I need that miracle sometime. Holla at me. I live in Meadowbrook. Come on. But there's a better miracle than that. It's greater than the cure from a deadly disease. There's a better miracle. It's, it's a better miracle than that right on time financial provision that came your way. Praise God that money came in. There's a better miracle, beloved. Don't fall for the cheap one. Better than finding that one that you're desperately searching for. Better than being blind and receiving sight. Better than being lame and being able to walk, beloved. The receiving of the Spirit is the greatest miracle that these people have ever encountered, ever. That's the beauty of the... That's the, they're receiving the Spirit, the miracle of conversion, the experience of salvation, the first fruits of transformation. That's the beloved, blessed miracle, beloved. The Bible says that once you've entrusted your soul to Jesus, you move from death to life. That's a miracle. That's dope. I need that. It says you went from death to life. It says you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That you've gone from head knowledge to heart knowledge. That you went from false gods to true gods. You went from estranged to adopted, damned to redeemed, rejected to accepted, sinner to saint, bound to free. Beloved, that's that good news. That's better than my back healed up. I needs that. From death to life, no greater miracle in all of human history is than, than the rising of the dead. And I don't even mean the physical dead. It was great that Lazarus woke up, but again, Lazarus would yet die. But spiritually, when Jesus gives you life, even if you die, uh, John eleven twenty five 25 says, you will live. That's not in there. Don't look for it. You will live, he says. The greatest miracle of all time is the salvation of our souls, beloved. That's what we need. But what we foolishly do is try to finish in the spirit what God has started in the well, finish in the flesh what God has started in the spirit. Beloved, the text tells us, not this one, but the text tells us that we cannot serve two masters. Either Jesus is Lord or you are. And if you view yourself as Lord, you're going to try to finish what he started in the flesh or what he started in the spirit. Either you've been saved by grace or you've been neglecting your need for God's grace by trying to finish in the flesh. Either you've been saved by faith or you've been trying with hollow heart results to save yourself by trying to finish what God started in the spirit by the flesh. It's telling. It's telling of who we're trusting in. It's telling into who our God is. And for most of us, we are our God. Those who have been transformed by God and yet live a life largely without God have fallen in one of two areas. Either we have not truly been transformed by God and we're just Christian in name, or by demonic scheme, we have forgotten the miracle of our own salvation. I think that's the more common truth for those of us who are truly Christians, is that we've forgotten the miracle of our salvation. I'm going to close reading this verse, and I'll give just a few commentaries after. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. If y'all can't see that, I'm sorry. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. 
All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But then look at verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he, verse 6, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. Verse 7, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Beloved, you see all that spiritual transformation ends with a physical change. Now we do because he has done. The Galatians experienced the saving grace of God. They experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the greatest miracle of all time. And Paul has taken the time to remind them of what God has done for them, all because they believe the greatest news ever told. Beloved, I'm calling you to believe that same news, that Jesus came and died to save you from yourself, from your sins, and from Satan. And that by trusting in his name, you can have salvation and freedom from the bondage of sin calling you to turn from your sin, to turn from yourself, and entrust all of you to Jesus. Keep nothing back. Ex surrender everything to him. And he will bring to completion the good work that he started. And all your good works will be the blessed result of faith. Father, far be it from us to try to complete. Far be it from us to try to complete what you have started by the flesh. Lord, I know that I'm guilty of trying to bring to completion what you've started, and so are these people. And so we're all together on this. <sighs> Father, I pray that we would trust you to bring to completion this very day. That you have exposed to these people the fragility and weakness of their own flesh and power. that they can do nothing to gain favor with you. It's all by faith. And therefore, they can stop trying with, I'm going to do better next time. And I know that that brings up the question, then does that mean I can just do anything? No, beloved, we'll answer that in a week or two, because your text does, because the text does. But Lord, once you've transformed our heart, you give us the mind of Christ and our desire is not for sin, but for holiness. And that we can focus less on trying not to do the bad things, but focus more on worshiping the one and only good thing. 
And as we worship you, we are transformed. And as we are transformed, sin becomes ever more repugnant to us. Though we find ourselves slipping and sliding from time to time, we can entrust ourselves to you for the forgiveness of our sins because you proved your love for us and that while I was still a sinner, you died for it. Lord, help me to trust you. Help these people to trust you. And I'm asking for your blessed grace and mercy to be upon them. Thank you for loving us. Would you fill us with your spirit and transform our souls in Jesus' name. Amen.